0: Uh sing be a song
1: <laughs> I hate this
0: I hate that one Yeah I, no I don't want that <laughs> I don't I want to we listen it to the that whole more
1: time than ever.
2: without the freaking okay, tomato sorry. man <laughs> I'm sorry uh,
0: right. I'm Sarah. I'm the little tomato <laughs> I'm sorry. that gets
2: destroyed <laughs>
0: I like how no-nonsense Dan was, he was like, listen, absolutely not. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> All joking aside, I do not condone this tomfoolery. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to Paragon Marathon. I'm Ganbury Dan, and I'm here to show you the fastest way to war.
1: Oh, so <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's
3: great. That's really good. <laughs>
0: it's a deep cut and it's sweet. And also I thought you were gonna do Dan Bury Dan, but yeah. you got you got both in there. Oh shit.
3: I, I said Gurry. I could do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a lot of G's in his yeah. name.
2: Oh, geez. That's fine. Play
3: it as it lies. Play it as it lies. Fake Lord of the Rings fan.
2: (laughs) Fake fan. We got a fake fan here. Fake fan. Okay. Uh, uh, Not one, not two, but three women in a fantasy piece. I count that as an R win. Hi, I'm Sarah.
0: (laughs) And I'm Tom, servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor, you cannot pass, the dark fire will not avail you, flame of Udun, go back to the shadow, you cannot pass. <laughs> oh, nice, I'm glad we got to that instantly. <laughs> <laughs> the misquote of
3: shall not pass, if I want to be pedantic, that's a real good go-to.
0: Yeah, dude, it's more assertive, you cannot pass.
2: That's yeah. a really good business card. Tag. I'm going <laughs> <gonna> to consider that. <laughs> Flame of voodoo. you cannot pass. We
0: are all, we are all of us servants of the secret fire.
2: Aw.
3: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Paragon Marathon. We're talking about the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just gave up. I was like, I'm not hitting that next (laughs) time. Yeah, you gotta start in
3: that low registry.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, so we're we're talking about Lord of the Rings today, and (laughs) more broadly, this is, uh, it was originally a focused episode and then became, I don't know, maybe a few different things, maybe a different thing to each of us, but it's like a Tolkien episode, (laughs) generally. I got you, man.
3: You want to talk about Lord of the Rings? You got to talk about the Lord of the Lord of the Rings. The oh. author. Oh. We need background. We need context. Our audience demands it.
2: We do. And who's
3: there <laughs> reforging a narrative sword? It's Tom. Tom. Where him go? Oh, shit.
2: Not Bombadil. I. Tom. <laughs> Quasi-Bombadil. I, the second cal heard that we were doing an episode on this uh he was like oh tom's gonna go off on tom B- bombadil right like we gotta get the details H- what does he know who does he care about
3: here let's get that prog a rock song about Mary a sweet goldberry Mary doll <laughs> doll, Mary doll my heart yeah okay blue something is his coat and his hat is yellow we'll yeah. go into do
2: it later but i need to understand what his function is because it's very confusing but
0: this yeah, thing so like,
3: doesn't need a function. He's yeah. not narratively speaking. Fair in the enough. cosmology, sure.
0: Okay. Yeah, he like, he wedged him into the cosmology, but it was very much like, I fucking love this guy, and <laughs> I'm putting him in.
3: <laughs> yeah, do you think like, he actually just got to try mushrooms in the forest one day, and was like, I need oh. a being of absolute power and irrelevance to, like, society. <laughs>
0: yeah, I would love to know. He was in a different short story that he wrote earlier, and oh, like, right. he appears in a few unfinished tales. Um, okay. So, okay, this is a good place to start.
3: Transdimensional being.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about Tolkien uh, and his imagined world or worlds. And, like, there is a lot of cool, overlapping interconnectivity between some of the other things he wrote and his general, like, perspective and worldview, uh, as well as a lot of the stuff that he never finished. Like, this guy had piles and piles of correspondence, unfinished texts and tales. Um And even after he passed away, his son, Christopher Tolkien, uh, who was the administrator of his estate, would continue, like, sifting through all of this stuff, editing and putting it together in as, like, presentable and uh, complete a fashion as was possible. For some things, this was almost totally legit doable, like the Silmarillion, which released in the 70s. Um, Maybe, actually, this is a good time to do it. So J.R.R. Tolkien primarily known for The Hobbit, which mm-hmm. was in 1937 released as a children's story for his young kids. Um, it was so a sweet. fairy tale. It wasn't really Middle-earth mm-hmm. yet. Then in 1955, he started writing a sequel. Well, he he started writing long before that, but in 1955, Lord of the Rings was released, which was originally a sequel, and then became merged with all of the other mythology and imagined world he had been writing his whole life since back when he was in the trenches of the Somme in world war one wow like imagining a new mythology for britain it all got mixed up smooshed together into lord of the rings that's
2: what it was imagining a new
3: mythology yeah. Whoa. whoa Yeah, it's a creation story
0: it's mm-hmm. a creation story it's a mythology for britain the earlier drafts like um, you know, either the Undying Lands or Tol Eressëa, the Elf Island near the Undying Lands, or Numenor may have been stand-ins for Britain, basically, <gasps> like the island, right. the literal island of Britain. Wow. Um, Fun. I mean, not Numenor because that's Atlantis. But right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm already getting. You know, there's there's a lot that fits in there. He wrote the Silmarillion at the same time as Lord of the Rings. He wanted Lord of the Rings to be one book, Silmarillion to be second book and release the two of Holy them together. Shit. Okay. Uh, and they were like, fuck that. First of all, Lord of the Rings is three books. Second of all, we are not publishing the Silmarillion. You freak. Like-
2: <laughs> 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 you fucking nerd. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to put your little maps and your diagrams in? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, yeah, he wrote, like, uh, detailed backstory fan fiction for his own book. And they were like, pfft. No, like,
0: <laughs> yeah, loser. They, well, and so part of the, part of the reason that Lord of the Rings felt so vivid and complete to people is that he had.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He was uh, among many other things. He was a philologist, which is a, uh, uh, like a he studies languages and how wow. they work. He worked for the Oxford Dictionary. He oh. gave us the most. Important academic standard version of Gawain and the Green Knight. That's his translation, really? From like the, Hell yeah! The twenties or the thirties.
2: That makes so much sense. Yeah,
0: <laughs> this dude was an renowned but, Beowulf scholar too, right? Yes, I, I, was I was just thinking. gonna say. Yeah, uh, yeah that's he just and that's knows shit. He was in love with Anglo-Saxon history and Anglo-Saxon mm-hmm. myth and story, like Beowulf, um, and. All of this stuff, his love of languages, his love of history, his love of myth and historical narrative, and eventually his own understanding of what he would call fairy stories Hmm. um, and his like academic examination of what fairy and fairy stories were uh, Hmm. that all came together into this thing that became the project of his life. So like this depth was not just like imagined details to fill gaps, but a lot of different meaningful narratives uh, pressed together to give each other, like... uh, Like, context and a broader yeah.
3: meaning, right? Like, he has really actualized the background. Well. Yes. He didn't just tell you, like, that's how it's gonna be. You could have dug anywhere and lifted out exactly these details he had mm-hmm. put in place.
0: And, you know, he understood that from looking at our ho- own history, uh, or his, all these different histories, rather, that, like, things were cyclical and that there was both um, beauty and profundity and like, you know, maybe fate and destiny in the sort of cyclical nature of stories that played out. So, you know, part of the reason that Arwen and Aragorn feel significant is that they are, you know, a cyclical echo of the Baron and Luthien myth, which is a part of the Silmarillion. And there are lots of different examples like that within his own work, but there are also a bunch of myths and legends within stuff like the Silmarillion that really clearly echo, uh, Stories from, you know, actual (laughs) mythology and history and stuff. And, you know, it's in a nebulous place, but it is technically this whole world is like (laughs) found documents that were written by these characters and translated over many, many eons until we got the current version. Well, yeah,
3: that's a frame narrative that we are super into And I was hoping that you would speak on that directly, like how it works as a device, but also what it does to our reading of the text itself.
0: Yeah, I could I'm already talking way too much, but like I don't want you to
3: spiral out. There are so many good points here. We just can't do them all at once. I think we (laughs) should say
2: that like this story and these stories have like a very A big spot in our hearts, like, growing up especially. I think that's the same for many families. Like, it was a beautiful story that a lot of kids could listen to, especially The Hobbit more so, and then leading into The Lord of the Rings. And it felt like something you could get so deep and excited about. Like, there was a million avenues to explore, and you felt like a different person after reading some of it. So...
3: Yeah, I don't know how to to describe it. Yeah, and then read this to your kids. It's such a special
2: idea. Like I know a lot of people our age are having kids now, and it's exciting to think about them going through the same thing and like having this beautiful, seemingly ancient story to connect over. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's fascinating, and and then you get into the really cool shit of like awesome fights, battles. Uh, we're gonna get into the romance later like there's a lot to sink into and um you can really feel the admiration and love and like everything else tom said like incredible thoroughness of the story itself in terms of like touching on different mythology and um yeah i guess reverence of it so i don't know i want to
0: i want to pick up on one thing you said there which is like it is a lot of different things to different people. It has had like a continual build of popularity from its release in 1955 Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings to now. Now it's like, you know, a, a just like a fucking... Huge IP. Yeah, like that doesn't <laughs> even, like the hugest in some sense. Like it's yeah. just this timeless centerpiece. It's like the most influential book of the 20th century, a lot of people say. like, But so a lot of people think of, you know, cool battles and stuff like that. But like when you read Tolkien, it's it, it's beautiful writing. It's written there's a lot of verse.
3: Yeah, and a lot more songs and poems than there are fights.
0: Yeah. But like, yeah, you know what he likes more than fights? Like this hill, like this the tree <laughs> this bubbling on this brook. hill. Yeah. <laughs> like oh. he loves nature and place. And yeah,
3: doing just a pastoral reading would be
0: so fun and could do a whole podcast mm. on that, too. Yeah, and I mean, this is as good a time as any to tap into one major theme for him, which is, like, nature versus technology. Basically, this dude hated technology completely and yeah. thought that, like, human progress was, like, a well, blight. he's yeah.
3: writing it while it's all getting blowed up yeah. around him. In the middle of a war I can't imagine anything more affecting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Watching the destruction of life and place just so abundantly. Mm. Uh, When I first took in a
2: lot of these stories, I was very young, like going to see the movies and like hearing uh, dad tell the stories. Right. So I didn't really have that Mm. perspective, but like coming back to it as an adult and thinking like, yeah, this is based on his wartime horrors in some sense, like he really captures the brutality of it and just the doom and it puts a different perspective, especially on like the warrior coming home like that. You can't really ever come home thought like that's very different for a soldier. That That's a, w- a way that I can ever enter into it. Hopefully like.
3: Yeah. Fingers
0: crossed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is a way thematically that the story of Frodo matches up with like the stories and poetry that all of those poets, men from world war one were writing when mm-hmm. they came back in the twenties. Like, um, that when you look a at it from that perspective, that. yeah, exactly. They really do match up, um, even though that's not really the first place most people go when they think about Lord of the Rings. I think it's totally valid. And I agree. Frodo is a oh. good focal point. Yeah. What are you going to say, Dan?
3: Uh, that quote about like, uh, I don't love the sword for its sharpness or the arrow for its swiftness. I love what they defend. Oh. And, uh, yeah Yeah, those kind of things I think are really telling of the man and his experience with war. Like he knew it was the thing that had to be done in that context, Mm -hmm. but it really made him appreciate life. And that transitions Mm -hmm. into my favorite token theme, which is how you need like a drop of sorrow to appreciate like beauty and happiness. Like that context and the difference between them is what you feel more than any. I need to hear that quote
0: again. Let's talk about worldview here. Yeah, this is the perfect place for it. Um, So Tolkien's, it's very tempting and I think probably, you know, meaningful to look for, like, Tolkien's overall perspective on, like, what all this stuff means. Mm -hmm. And we get that in his work um, in a few different ways. So the quote Dan's talking about is from the Silmarillion, uh, and it's, For if joyful is the fountain that rises in the sun, its springs are in the wells of sorrow, unfathomable at the foundations of the earth. Ah! And it's that idea that, yeah, it, it's not just as simple as like you need sadness or and tragedy to experience their opposite, but it's like, you know, very much a sense of everything means something. Hmm. Um, and everything yeah. that happens, whether beautiful or horrific, does add to this, you know, infinite complexity and beauty, which is how I see perceive the world and the universe. It, it's that.
3: It's shaping your worldview. It's the context, right? It's knowing that these extremes exist and make the other more profound.
0: Yeah. So the first one of the first things you read if you look, look up basic Tolkien biographies is like, Tolkien was Catholic and this influenced uh, the worldview yeah. presence in Lord of the Rings. And like, mm-hmm. that's definitely true, but there are like a bunch of different ways that we could... Examine that specifically. What does it mean in any given context? Like, I have no fucking idea. But lemba bread is communion wafers. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we Do solved I? it. <laughs> nice try,
3: Jr. Right? Like it's easy to take these things in like a shallow way. Yeah, <laughs> is exactly. what I was trying to illustrate.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting, like listening to like the it just talks of. Him and C.S. Lewis, like their writings together. Um, I was heard that they like their little group were called the Inklings, which I think is so yeah. cute. Yep. So cute. But
1: uh,
3: inventing Splatoon. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a shout out to his what would have been his favorite video game.
2: <laughs> well.
3: <laughs> Fashion conscious squid mutants. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I but like the talks of like uh, Tolkien to Lewis. Being like, just be Catholic, and Lewis being like a Protestant from North Ireland, being like, dude, <laughs> no, like, obviously, <laughs> yeah. well, no,
0: oh, like, no. So he was Anglican, and like, C.S. Oh, he was he was okay. Lewis, Lewis was an atheist, and after what? his friendship with Tolkien was one of the main reasons that he converted, and he was like, Guess what, buddy, I'm converting, and Tolkien's like, Yay to Anglicanism, and he was like, What the fuck no. is your problem, <laughs> dude? <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so I've definitely got yeah. I shouldn't I should just forget everything I would listened to on that interview that I sent cuz that <laughs> apparently is riddled with inaccuracies.
0: Well, but no. Well, but that's the thing Which like so many people takes, have been obsessed yeah. with exactly with examining Tolkien like over the last 70 years, is it 70? Something oh my God. like that, almost 70, more mm. if you go back to the Hobbit. Yeah. Anyway, there are lots of bad takes and misinformation like I'm sure is abundant. So, yeah, we're not going to hold ourselves to a standard of perfect accuracy here. But, yeah, that's my understanding of the C.S. Lewis Tolkien relationship. That's way funnier. Um, that's. But the cool <laughs> yeah. thing about Tolkien's Catholicism is that like his relationship with God is not, you know, like a personal I need Jesus to do favors for me. Like I'm in love with Jesus thing, which <sighs> I find disgusting. Uh, sorry. <laughs> You have a personal <laughs> relationship with Jesus. Oh, I should probably cut this. Yeah, Tom, <laughs> <laughs> holy shit! Tom, Tom hates Memphis. you.
2: Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> Tom's God's <jealous>. not real.
3: <laughs> yeah, here we are. Uh,
0: but he had, uh, you know, as a as a historian, I mean, I guess he'd seen a lot of different liturgical writing about people's relationship with God. One of the interesting things about being a Catholic is that you're taking on by some degree you are consciously taking on the the baggage of, you know, 1600 years of theology Hmm. and having to acknowledge the way that that is open to interpretation when it's not strictly supposed to be in some context. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's tough. And just like with any type of Christianity, everybody would have their own specific understanding and point that they arrive at for their religious, for their faith. Hmm. Um, but you see, in his writing, like this is where it's expressed: the universe is infinite, but interested. Like there, there is, I think, mm. destiny in Tolkien. Well, that can be a comfort. It's
3: that's sort of like a deist take. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or, exactly. Or like the you know, creators set the world in motion and let it and just let Literal. it spin like a Beyblade. Yeah, well,
0: and yeah. and with the the <laughs> sorrow, like the way. I guess we could talk briefly about the creation story because, um so basically there is, wonderful. like, the one. There's a guy, there's a deity named Eru, uh who the elves call Iluvatar, who is the one, which in a sense is, like, he is the only one to truly exist. Like, right. he is the creator.
3: Right, and the universe kind of thing, right? Like, he sort of yeah. is creation, like cosmos in Greek mythology. We don't know how right? he like comes to be.
2: Like, we don't know he just, he,
0: Yeah, he just he is. is. Yeah. Yeah. He is the one. And so, from that perspective, he's the only one with, you know, a true universal agency. <laughs> um, no, and I, I mean yeah. that, right? Like, to some degree, everything that happens is happening with his permission. Hmm. Or at least uh, knowledge. Right. Or things just if happen not because
3: of him. Yeah. So, mm-hmm.
0: I can, well, yeah, he creates first. The first thing he creates in the void uh, are the Einer, who mm-hmm. are basically angelic spirits. Um, mm-hmm. They are products of his thought. It says specifically they each emerge from different regions of his thought. And wow. so they all have a partial understanding of everything that could potentially exist in the universe. Um, cool. So that you can look at that as simply as like, this guy's a fire guy and this guy's a water guy. That's all how my brain God. works. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm
3: I'm reeling on it's like, yeah, they each have a fraction of infinity. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah, so that yeah, is boundless, right? It so it's that. like
0: they each would have a different perspective of reality. Um, and he says right at the beginning, like they spend time in this void and they have like a vaguely familial relationship where Aww. he is the father. Um, and they learn about each other and the world, but everything that's not. Natural to them comes slowly and takes time, and they need to help each other learn these oh, things,
2: little babies. Yeah. Um,
0: and there's one Einar who has more than any other. He is the most gifted. He has he knows a little bit of everything that Iluvatar made in the universe. Like he he's, he's Iluvatar junior, plate. yeah. Um, <laughs> but as a result he starts thinking he's better than everybody. Ooh. And uh, he, he starts even being uh, jealous of Iluvatar. And he spends some time as a result feeling alienated and going off alone um, into the void. And because he's spending time alone, he's like, Disconnected from you know the spirits of creation in the world, and this slowly drives him inward. This is all like the first paragraph of the. <laughs> like,
1: wow,
3: the and it's also like a very sophisticated psychological take too yeah. about like what a superiority complex will do to you yeah. because like everyone else progresses further than him through empathy mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. in that sense, right? And he's just like discounted it entirely. Oh, so I
0: love this. It's it's no mistake that people. Want to talk about these big questions like the nature of evil or like the the nature of good when they talk about Tolkien because he is intentionally bringing those things to the forefront. Like he is addressing these questions. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's Melkor, um, and Iluvatar then shows all the einar some music, a musical theme ba 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 that ba
2: ba is meant ba ba to be a metaphor. <laughs> 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 is that? I feel like that's pretty close.
0: (laughs) Reasonably, yeah, gritty. How do we know? It's just as likely as (laughs) anything else.
2: He's like, kids, isn't this sick? I I don't (laughs) don't know what. We don't have elephants yet, but I think I'll call it baby elephant walk.
0: Um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm not going to go too specifically through the rest, but he, he shows them these varying pieces of music that are meant to be a metaphor for reality. Melkor starts singing out, uh, trying to clash with the music to make his own part better. And, you know, this makes some of the Ioner freak out and stop singing. This oh. makes others try to attune their music to his because oh. they're like nearer to him or whatever. You all, you, you see the metaphor working. And eventually, Lúvitar shuts it down, plays another one and says something in the name of like, or to the tune of anything that you try to do, like to, you know, contrast my theme only contributes to the overall beauty of the whole. Like anything you do to try to bring it down is only gonna make it all more complete and beautiful in the end.
2: Oh, Uh, wow. That's a sick That's burn. Good
0: parental right. love, too. Like I'm, I'm so into <laughs> it that. is Yeah. And so then it turns out that this was all a metaphor for the creation of the world. And they all then he shows them an image of the world and all of time. Wow. Uh, so however we can perceive that fourth-dimensional thing, he's showing them that. Um, all <laughs> of reality and all of time. And they all see the thing that they are you know, are or that they feel or believe or their contribution to the music, they see it in the world. And so they love it and they, they want to be a part of it. And so they, he says, okay, I'm going to start time. Anyone who wants to can go into the world and live in the world. Uh, but you know, that's it. And so they all, all the ones that want to go and the other ones just stay with him in the void as, you know, eternal beings of creation. And (laughs) Melkor of course goes down in the world too. And that's, then they start shaping it to, um, you know, live up to what they saw in the music. And basically, that's a metaphor for them creating the different things in the world. Uh, And the one thing I neglected to mention is that they saw in the preview that he showed (laughs) them um, something that none of them imagined, which were the children of (gasps) Illuvatar. And those are the people. um, The ones who will be the elves and the men. Um, but not dwarves. Not dwarves. Dwarves. <laughs> dwarves are yeah. fake. Not dwarves? <laughs> dwarves were not part of the music. <laughs> yeah.
2: What about... Uh, 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 They're uh, a
3: synth keyboard beat put in afterwards.
0: And <laughs> You know what? A <laughs> <I, I laughs> drum machine. Yeah, yeah like, I guess they would have been part of the music. They would have been part of Ale's music. It's just they are not strictly yeah. the children just of the Just the
2: brown but. note. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so oh what about... God. um? Uh, hobbits and orcs and stuff like they weren't in there yet hobbits
0: are people yeah no hobbits, hobbits are, are people. people orcs are orcs are elves that melkor the you know god of evil the corruptor yeah. does horrible things to that's right yeah that's crazy and actually it's it's worth talking about that so yeah they all go down and the, the chief among them get named the valar there are 14 of them and they are not necessarily any different than any of the other spirits uh, who go down any of the other einar um, but they all stop using the name Ainur, and now there's the Valar, the 14, and the rest are all Maiar, or Maya. And like, yeah, sort of like how all Zeus
3: declares angels. his siblings Olympians. Yeah, like, exactly. Like it's more of an all honorific. Sorts of other things. Yeah. Hmm. It's a hierarchy establishing. Totally.
2: Okay, and spoiler, but Gandalf is a Maiar? Is he is. He is. That makes Gandalf's
0: sense. Gandalf's a Maiar. Right. Balrogs are Maiar. Yeah. Uh, Tom Bombadil is technically a Maiar. Oh my God. Although some people still Are argue you kidding that, me? no, he is.
2: Oh like, my fucking God. dude,
3: most powerful singing idiot. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: love him. I mean, Tom yeah. Bombadil is just a Maiar who got into the earth and was like, I love this 40 square mile region so much.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't even need the rest of it,
0: yeah. I'm not gonna do anything to help anyone else with the creation of the world unless it is in this 40 square <laughs> kilometers. Radius.
3: Yeah, and he just like invents a banjo and starts playing it Great. by a river and never stopped. Well, yeah. until he could fuck that river. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't even make the river come to life. Someone else will do that. Yeah. Wow. He's just waiting.
2: Uh, yeah. So Gandalf is, uh, Radagast, our forgotten friend. Uh, and they're part of the group that go to, like, from the Undying Lands, right, over to Middle Earth. Like, they just hop over.
0: Yeah, I mean. I guess we're not going in order of anything. Sorry. Yeah, Gandalf is a wizard. No, you're, you're like, yeah. Gandalf This is all much, 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 much later when like the age of the Valar being specifically involved is like about to end. Right. Um, okay. After all the Saren stuff. Gandalf is like a one of five dudes on a problem solving hmm. mission. That's uh, neat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're forced to take, it's like if they want to intervene, they have to take human form. So wizards are like human, but with like, the power of an angel Sick. so they could never really die but like in theory you know you could die and not come back
3: like how in reboot if you wanted to protect the computer you have to reboot into a thing in the game that you're in you guys yeah. see the token parallels
0: in reboot it's yeah, now absolutely. i do
3: <laughs> really in just the profound beauty of the sprites but please let's continue <laughs>
0: So that's the we were only talking about the background of the creation story in terms of framing it as like, you know, this does match up with the Catholic worldview and that we have one all powerful God who oversaw the creation of the world and has an interest in the form of love for the people specifically. Like people are his children. Mm-hmm. Um, and he 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 can't protect them or he chooses not to protect them from every specific evil. But you know, ultimately it's going to work out like everything bad that happens is going to work out. as like a, just more details and contribute to the, uh, what am I saying? It contributes to the overall beauty of all of life and creation, which is like a fancy way of saying God's plan. (laughs) I guess. Okay. <laughs> right.
3: And there's there's not like explicit heavens described, but he does play with different afterlife scenarios. I'm thinking of the quote between Gandalf and Pippin describing like death is just another journey we all must take. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, yeah, you know, the veil is or the curtain is dropped on this world. And then there's sort of like a nice peaceful shore. And <laughs> he's like, that but doesn't he, sound so bad. And it's yeah.
0: And he's yeah. speaking out of turn because like, I don't I don't think. I don't think hobbits get that, but we don't know about like, Oh, are they mean, like... I, mean, oh, I mean, forgot I who mean, I was I talking mean, to. Are they like yes. dogs I mean, with hobbits heaven? Hobbits men. They ch- no, they're men. They're people. Um,
3: people the, be barking.
0: The, yes. the children of Iluvatar are the Eldar and the non-Eldar, which is he uses like men, humankind. Mm-hmm. The Eldar are interesting because he uses a lot of language to describe how they are part of the world. Like they are connected to the world. So to, to nature and to place and just to this sort of idea of the earth having like an, uh, an animistic sort of life and energy in a sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't put an exact point on it of what that means, but they are different than humans who have the gift of a Luvatar, which is they live a mortal life. And when they die, they go, we know not where. Like, not right. even the Valar know what happens to the human spirit after death. But it's framed as a gift. Because even when elves finally die, they their spirit goes to the halls of Mandos. Wow. Mandos being one of the Valar who's sort of like a Hades figure, but hmm. like more benevolent. Yeah. Um, and it's just like a place you go uh, to recover. And to sort of process your life and maybe atone for your sins, Um, and then eventually you come out and you're still on the world, but you're in the undying lands, dwelling with the Valar, separate from you know the woes of mortal life, and you're just there until the world is over. Sounds like the good place.
1: Yeah. Uh Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. And and it's they frame it as like a potential not punishment, but like you know it's even if it is secure, it's like. You know, we don't know what happens to humanity, and so you get both the mercy of an off button and maybe some great paradise, and maybe not. Who fucking knows? Yeah, maybe knows?
3: consciousness ends. Like, that's something that the elves would never be able to comprehend. Like, yeah. the self exists eternally, and if you follow that track, I I don't know that there's a way to comprehend that without madness.
0: Yeah, well, mm-hmm. and like maybe, it. maybe it's because they get to leave the world and be with God. Yeah. I don't know. That's like, pretty comforting cool.
2: knowing, like, I'm just going to go be where we all were originally. Right. Like, a- And I'm not saying
0: back. that that's what happens. I'm saying that's one possible interpretation. Right. If we look at he was Catholic, it's called the gift of Iluvatar. Um I don't know. It seems like a reasonable supposition, but we don't know.
3: Yeah, and it's a good thing to leave ambiguous in my mind. Like, it leaves you a lot more space (laughs) than being like, and over here is Hobbit heaven, where it's all holes and beer. Yeah.
2: Hobbit heaven just is the shire. Yeah,
3: they already have it. Hell yeah, bro.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's not like a placating religious tone. It's not like a god and a religion or, or a worldview that's like, don't worry, like, as long as you believe, you'll go to heaven. Like, you'll get the thing you want. It'll be nice. But it is meant to be sort of like softly reassuring in the sense of, you know, there is, if not a plan of benevolent force, like grace exists. And so that's a strength that characters like Gandalf sort of try to give to the other characters who experience fear, or doubt through wisdom. Like there's a reason to hope is basically their MO and like hope versus despair is another very important theme in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, So uh, and I I just am bringing that into bridge. Like, I don't think there's any specific uh, religious or faith based point to take away in terms of how the world works, except for that feeling, um, that feeling that there is something worth hoping for and that it's not unreasonable to see beauty in the fullness of existence with all its scary complexity.
3: Yeah, it's high highs
0: and low lows, (laughs) (laughs) low, low baggins. Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
2: Okay, we were coming up with like stoner names for all of the because they kept smoking. What was it like dilly weed or something? like all the little just, hobbins just So
3: yeah, like pipe Lodo
2: bongans uh, <laughs> I That's forget so good. Uh, Peregrine toke. Yeah. uh we couldn't think oh. of one for Mary, so it was like Mary handy Puff or something or like <laughs> brandy Huff, I guess is the best we could do. <laughs> and uh Samwise Ganji is like.
3: rolls off the tongue
2: this is so wonderful (laughs) god
3: yeah that's really good i'm gonna change all of my online usernames
2: (laughs) 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 they do smoke a lot like i know it's supposed to just be tobacco but like they call it they call it what they call it the long
0: bottom leaf and i mean it's still chilling you out like tobacco sort of gets you i guess it does doesn't doesn't it it? yeah
2: it does i think that was
3: the point of smoking too was like calm down have the nicotine rush that makes you chill
0: yeah, just accelerate your heart.
2: Yeah, that makes me so chill. He's <laughs> <It was> great.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Um, so we were on this one theme right before the Samwise Ganji. Uh, Sorry. Which I, I did want to. No, 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 no. I, I, oh, my God. I'm so Most glad.
3: worthwhile diversion ever. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> but I just wanted to say that, like, I I think that for me, that's the central theme that I see most vividly through, like, a multitude of characters as you go through the story of Lord of the Rings. Like, the this idea of hope in the face of despair hmm. is, I think, important to Tolkien.
3: Yeah, and that really fits in.
0: There's a lot of times where it feels like they have no reason to hope. Like, victory seems so literally impossible. Yeah. Um, And there's just... So it's the difference between, like, Gandalf mm-hmm. or Saruman, obviously, who's, like... He talks to, he thinks he's peeking at Saren with the Palantir and getting like a good idea of what he's up against, but Saren is actually showing him totally warped things that make victory look impossible. So he, you know, despairs. succumbs. He despairs. Yeah. Interesting. And he is like. This is this is our only option. Like, and he he when he says it to Gandalf, he's not like I've decided to be evil. Like in the fucking movie, with yeah. The yeah. Best MTV fight scene of
3: 2001. Is it the flow?
0: Yeah. We watch Incredible. Fellowship again. That scene fucking sucks. That, that scene almost door. ruins closed. the entire movie.
2: Door closed. <laughs> Other door closed. <laughs>
3: yeah. Spin
0: move. It's. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's the most, like, direct magic is the force like Star Wars. <laughs> like, there's no subtlety to it. It's just two guys with telekinesis just the and sticks. Just the eyes
2: darting back and <laughs> like, forth with his little grin is so... <laughs> <pfft>. <laughs> it
3: just... Yeah.
2: Yeah, it takes over the scene. That's a sure.
3: fun anecdote of Christopher Lee actually knowing Token. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, right? Like, that's, that's just cool. That's that insane. It's recent enough. Yeah. Tolkien
0: literally says if anyone ever plays live action Gandalf, it should be you. Uh, but he never met then, fucking
3: Ian McKellen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: he got. And he's too old. Saruman's or like uh, Christopher Lee was too old to play Gandalf. Mm. I think. Yeah.
3: But,
2: Fair enough. I think. He, he I mean, just too old. His Saruman. Yeah, and I
0: think he really killed it as Saruman. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, you've also got people like Denethor. Right? Uh, Who is the perfect example of doom scrolling? Mm -hmm. Uh, I stole that from a Polygon article, but it's so true. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. He
3: again.
0: He thinks he's like catching Saren out and he's like spying and being all clever to get a read on the enemy, but Saren's like nice and just misrepresents his strength to the point where. Denethor's like, we are fucked and there's no point in trying. Yeah. Victory is literally impossible. Yeah. Oh. So S- Saruman got to, in the books, he's not like, let's be evil. He's like, we gotta, we gotta pretend we're helping Sarin, And then at some point we can seize the ring and it'll be okay. And good will win that way. And Gandalf's like, that's dumb as hell. it <laughs> uh, yeah, just seems like
3: slavery with more steps. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Denethor is like, just give up. Like, whatever. I don't care. Uh, you know and you contrast him with Theoden, right yeah. a, a yeah. king who is like on the brink because of how much he's been manipulated and the the reinvigoration that hope brings him Yeah, Yeah.
3: from Grima gaslighting Wormton. Okay, so sidebar,
2: side note, um, a while ago I was really hungover and I had to do some work on a Sunday morning. So I looked distraught and I had just dyed my hair black and I was just really tired and greasy. And uh, Cal comes (laughs) into the room and he's like, okay, you know, I love you, but you look a little bit... You look a lot like Wormtongue, right? now, <laughs> And I <laughs> shrieked because it was really true. And now I can't not see it. So I have to go back to blonde or something because this is freaking me out. I just we
3: all have Brad Dorf moments. They don't define <laughs> us. <laughs>
2: it's okay well, God, to have a Wormtongue so day. Yeah, yeah, he really is. Like,
3: there's so much to talk about, but we could also have done a whole episode just on individual performances across yeah. these three movies.
0: Uh, one thing that I noticed, and uh, we can talk about this later. I want to remember to talk about how Peter Jackson's like a fucking weirdo whose idea of like reasonable violence is totally insane. Mm. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I will try yeah, to no, remember to bring that up in the movie. Why talk, are we talk about it like, now? <laughs> oh, okay.
2: Yeah, you're Fair in charge enough. of the well, edit. You can put it wherever you want. It's
0: just like... So, like, it's sweet that Grima stabs Saruman in the back yeah. at the end of, you know, his, their thing. And Peter Jackson's like, you know what? Not feeling it. He needs to fall 400 yeah. feet and yeah. get impaled on a water wheel and then get slowly rotated into the that water. That was <laughs> very
2: disturbing. Uh, I, I second. Yeah. That was fucking right. bananas.
0: out of nowhere. It's not... Alone, like, so there's some of it that sort of gets away from you, like, when Aragorn's fighting lurts, it's the coolest fight in Fellowship, yep. it's really well choreographed, mm-hmm. Boromir has just been killed by him, so we're like, fucking get him,
3: Aragorn. We need this. Yeah. yeah. So Go he, off. like,
0: cuts the, he stabs a dude in the thigh, he cuts his arm off, he stabs him all the way through the abdomen, and then he perfectly cuts his head off. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. it's rad, but that's pretty excessive, for yeah. what up until this point has, like, <laughs> really a not been about gore.
3: That's a For Honor execution you can buy. It is literally one-to-one oh, hell yeah! kill really? animation. Yeah, wow. it's wild. And that's like uh, 18 years after. Yeah. <laughs> or whenever that happened. It's been a Staying minute.
0: Staying power. Yeah. The one that fucks me up the most is the extra conflict with Frodo and Sam and Gollum in yeah. Return of the King. At the, at the yeah, end, I feels agree. Like,
2: I'm glad you brought it up like because I, I, I heard I, the original story of like it's Gollum you know, succumbing to the ring and, like, falling. And that's more powerful because they oh, had... I'm not
0: talking about that. Oh, really? Okay. No, he's
3: talking about, uh, like, Sam does bread. a weird backtrack to Osgiliath, I think.
0: I'm after, not talking like, about that either. Whoa, what are um, we talking about here? <laughs> I am talking about in Return of the King when they are climbing up the stair on the way to Shelob and uh. Gollum frames Sam for bread theft. Yeah, I hate <laughs> that. And <laughs> so not only does Frodo send Sam home, but he does so reasonably because Sam beats the fuck out of Gollum in a way that is like right. really unpleasant to watch. It is. <laughs> I had forgotten this. Yeah, he's so ritual. Like, like he's just, just like <laughs> slamming his head into rocks and he's like screaming like, You're a liar! It's just like <laughs> it's so real and it's so over-the-top prison,
2: honey.
3: Yeah, zero two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, and, and it's not even like a this didn't happen in the books thing, which it didn't. But yeah. like, and I understand this extra need for like a little conflict here between Frodo and Sam, like things are going too smoothly or whatever. But it just it is so nasty. And yeah. seeing Sam do that kind of fucks me up. And, and makes he's it like, like crying. Harder to
2: it's really
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: He is the sweetest dude in the whole franchise, probably. Exactly. like So it is very shocking and out of character.
2: (laughs) All right. We're already getting into the movie stuff. So let's go back. Let's circle back. It's hard not to because we all connect to it. Like it's the clearest visual connection. But I know there's also going
3: to be a useful shortcut because we're not going to be able to go through the, you know, plot in anything but the broadest strokes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So let's let's talk about um, heroism in Lord of the Rings, which was ostensibly the thing that brought us here yeah paragon
3: began. marathoning intensifies this is what yeah. we want hero stuff
0: <laughs> we're not gonna do Campbellian shit obviously that is on the table because this is an extremely mythic story mm-hmm. but um you know and it's partly a conversation about the movies because uh, in we have a couple of heroes going on here like really obvious heroes Every member of the Fellowship is heroic. Every good character is some degree of heroic, depending on how you're using the term. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it comes down to Frodo and Aragorn as our two, like, central heroes. Right. Um. I won't go too deep into this, but just as an overview, like, they are some very clear Jungian archety- archetypal heroes. Hmm. Um, yeah. I have some notes on the the young Carl Yo- or the Jungian form here. Like just to go over it, basically, um, Aragorn is the like noble, powerful, traditional hero. And Frodo is the more like childlike hero. Yeah. Um, you know, like Frodo, sort of more
3: of an everyman than a destined king.
0: Exactly. Uh, they are like Aragorn's the warrior and Frodo is the the sort of everyman who, you know, suffers um, he he is like mirrored in the the Tolkien experience of going to war and coming back and you're not the same. Like, yeah. You suffer and it changes the world for you. Whereas Aragorn honestly gets more of like a fairy tale mm-hmm. ending in a broad sense where he is the you know, the the destined warrior. He's from the line of kings. He's going to come from relative obscurity, reclaim the crown. He and saves save the day.
2: saves his bride to be the destined lover.
0: The, and it's sort of an impossible lover, too. Yeah. I was going
3: to say his whole life is yeah, like never escapes from the mythology in like the yeah. grander sense. The mythic hero. He's a hero. story. Yeah. Where Frodo is just living in that world a little. Hmm.
0: Well, and so Frodo is just as heroic, but it is it is this very different role where he, yeah, yeah. you know, he he's the kind of hero that needs the supernatural aid. Like so we have like the old wise man Gandalf wizard guy mm-hmm. um and we also have the the shadow element in youngian archetypes which is which is Gollum. um so oh. we have you know like f- centering yeah. frodo is so much more interesting to me than aragorn and i love aragorn and aragorn does a lot of cool things with historic yeah, no we've myths. all
3: seen your tattoo you don't have yeah. to be
0: anything us uh so because we have we have bilbo who mirrors Frodo by having the earlier journey that Frodo constantly compares himself to. And he's worried he's not living up Mm -hmm. to this legacy. Mm -hmm. He, he has the perspective of being the every man who comes from comfort and is longing for that comfort, but also sees the duty in protecting that, you know, idyllic place and people. Right. Even if they are ignorant, (laughs) Uh, we see Gollum, which is like the fallen version of if he fails in a, in a variety of different ways, like, it's the fate he wants to avoid. But it's yeah. also the guy he needs to learn to pity and feel mercy towards. It's fascinating. So he's like, he's also this dimension where Frodo learns to love his enemy. Um, God, that's good shit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So like if you're doing like the his, the the classic types of heroes, Frodo's like the innocent, right? He's like the, he's almost like the the priest hero because he's not kicking ass, but he's like learning to love and he's learning <sighs> mercy and he's learning about the world. Uh, But can wear
3: light armor like a cleric would.
0: That's right. (laughs) He's got a magic item. Yeah.
3: Yeah. A divine boon.
0: So, like, I think that frames it pretty well. Like, Aragorn is, you know, King Arthur. He's Mm kind of like Beowulf. Yeah, he's got a
3: magic sword, and he's going to use it against personified evil.
0: Mm -hmm. Sickening. Uh, Whereas Frodo is just a tiny little guy. Yeah,
2: he's
1: so
3: With a magic sword that's really more of a (laughs) nightlight. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh interesting g- g- watching the movies because that was how i entered into it um but like on a younger age and not really understanding like why we were spending so much time on him because like it didn't really seem like he had a lot of ability you know but that was the point it's like he is wily and he depends on friendship to yeah. g- get the job done and to do the impossible task, like the the aspect of looking at this story through the the eyes of like male friendships and just like friendship in general and that like camaraderie and love was really fascinating yeah. uh, to see how that could be so powerful in yeah in this he world. His
3: early seasons, uh, Steven Universe, yeah. where he is surrounded by very yeah. powerful people and like friendship and understanding them better is what makes him stronger.
0: And it's a challenge to actually share that weight or to even accept the risk hmm. for those people that he loves. Um, cool. And there are lots of examples of this. Like, I think the movie does what it can, but ultimately you have so much to do in so little time, so much, so many characters to characterize that, like, they fall into the pattern of, like, Frodo is the guy that stuff happens to, and yeah. then one of his friends uses a friend ability to save him because he's important. Yeah. And that does cement to the viewer that Frodo is important, but it also makes almost everybody who watches those movies say something like, Frodo's such a fucking baby. Or like, Frodo's just falling down and crying. It makes all
2: the me time. want to
3: die. Right, because <laughs> most of his screen time is him like reacting in pain yeah. or like.
2: Because he's being tortured incessantly and like he is alone with his one friend who like can see it's like I don't know what you would call the ring but it's just like this super depression that he has to carry with him at all times that's just getting heavier and heavier and then I can't believe I was so hard on him in earlier takes because yeah that's it's an impossible task and no one can see how hard it is until they come close to it and then they succumb to it completely.
0: I think that that is the first take is totally the reasonable take watching the movies. I think you have to really exercise your your critical thinking and ideally just read the text because yeah. that's the easiest path to it to see the work that Frodo is actually doing and like the nobility in his acts and, and the degree of suffering. It's When you watch yeah. the movies, I think that's the takeaway. Like Frodo <laughs> just kind of sucks. Like he's suffering and they do a good job of the the weight of the ring. But other than that, he's just getting beat up by other little things. And whenever he is threatened, it's a chance for another character to show their like ability. and right. value. Yeah.
3: There's no time for him to overcome something on his own or contextualize like the trauma he has, o- or, you know, surpassed. It is just him reacting. That's a pretty big failure of the movies part really to like miss out. Yeah on the specific heroic parts I don't know, of man.
2: Like I, I thought while watching the films, especially like on so many occasions, I would have been caught or like, you know, died. Oh
3: yeah. It's like <laughs> here's where I died. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like even <Yeah. laughs> when they're just
2: on the road at the very start and they almost get caught by the ring wraiths, like it was yeah. a second oh. and it would have been over for them. And, like it's so close to it all shutting down, right? Like, they're so little. But that's the thing about hobbits, right? Like, they're they're really sneaky, right? Like, I remember well, reading are. something about how if you were in the woods with a hobbit, you would never know. Like... You'd if never they, hear it. Yeah, if they didn't want you to.
0: Move silently.
2: Right? Like, yeah.
0: And usually that is sabotaged in the movie in favor of, like, giving us a Barry and Pippin are dumbasses scene. <laughs> like
3: building up <laughs> tension, right? Of, like, yeah. oh, well, he's dropped a thing down the well. It all clunk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Fool of a took. It's kind of reductionist, right? Or, like, reductive because there's so much text and character moments to condense into even three huge movies. You have to skim. I
0: I still understand the decisions like, and I think the movies work. I think that in terms of Lord of the Rings adaptations, nothing comes close to the Peter Jackson 2001 trilogy. I think it's fantastic. I think it works.
3: And Um, it's exactly that. It's a different medium that is capable of different things. And we shouldn't just try to find like a one-to-one equivalence on every
0: point. It is its own, my only point is that it, it is its own text, and that text is not just the novels. Yeah. Like It is a different text with a different interpretation. Hmm. Um, and I think that Peter Jackson is kind of a weirdo, but anyway, we, <laughs> we can focus on that specifically later. Okay. Um, sure. I think that did a pretty good example of, of putting Frodo in context. We can talk about some of the cool things that he... That he actually does do, maybe. I'd love to uh, hear. I
3: don't, I don't yeah. know. Like, I want to talk about the end thing. Uh, one of the articles that you had shared around, uh, I was, like, tearing up reading the queer take on it, like, mm. relating the, like, soldier and his Batman, which is hmm. funny now because Batman, but yeah. <laughs> the, like, the roles of, like, closeness and friendship in that, and I was really taken with, like, I don't remember, or at least, like, never focused on enough how hard they are reliving the Baron and Luthien myth, mm-hmm. right? Like, because was probably been a long time since I've read the actual text with the context of the Silmarillion in my head. Hmm. Like, I'm gonna right. go through it again. This shit rules.
0: Yeah, they are carrying, or, or you know, they are going into yeah. the heart of evil um, to risk everything. Uh, and all they have is each other. So yeah. you're you're right. Like, Frodo and Sam... I don't know why I haven't had that thought before. They they are kind of Barren and Luthien as much yeah. as Arwen and Aragorn are. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. I it, it, so it's the degree of risk, and Frodo is really the only one of the hobbits who understands that risk. Like he's he is more educated than the others for sure, mm-hmm. but he's also like like because of being Bilbo's nephew, and Bilbo gave him like an education of elves in the wider world and stuff. But he he is. Like wise, and he uses that wisdom through his journey to learn compassion, and so Gollum is like the the first, or like one of the central lessons there because he sees himself in it, and he shares the the weight of, like understanding the ring and the pull of the ring and what it does to you. Um, yeah, we get
3: that excellent line from Gandalf, where he's like, "I wish Bilbo had killed him." Uh, yeah, it was like, or. Er- it's a pity. pity he didn't he said pity is what stayed in his hand it really like learns that lesson
0: mm-hmm. and then we that also is where in in that moment of compassion and teaching you know compassion and hope by Gandalf to Frodo he also sort of says you know even the wise cannot see all ends my heart tells me that Gollum may still have some part to play and so it's a it's a comfort in or faith in, you know, whatever destiny or like feels like there, there's a lot of people who say like, Oh, this happened by chance. And then someone goes, if chance you call it. And like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's this idea of the people who are wise, feel attuned with the universe and can see that like the, it universe, had to go this way. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hmm. The universe is speaking to us. Yeah. But so, isn't
2: that a thing you could say after everything all the time? Like,
0: sure. cause it, if but this guy's actually an angel. I guess. So I'm going to okay. believe it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: Um, yeah. So and and like it's not we don't have that context, especially if we haven't read the Silmarillion. And the, it never takes pains to do that. Like it, it. That's it. And then it's just up to Frodo to feel, you know, whatever he feels about that. There's no promise of divinity or of, a, of God's plan to any character. I'm just saying mm-hmm. we can read that into it, um, which may or may not be comforting to us, but does grant it some sense of larger purpose. And the cyclical nature of history and myth repeating, um, <laughs> which is just satisfying. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Gandalf is like Frodo's first teacher. And then he becomes one of the lessons because Frodo is the one who makes the decision to go through Moria instead of the other paths when they're.
2: Well, how was he going to know? He has no context oh, for, sure. for the situation, unless there's like a discussion in the books that I'm not familiar with, like that go into every minutia of what's ahead or what's potent But it, ma- it makes it seem like Gandalf knew that there was a Balrog in there and he was like, but let's just wait and see what this guy says. Like what? (laughs) I don't know. In the book,
0: I think it's, it's Aragorn who's like, no Moria. And Gandalf's like, it'll be fine. I got this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's way different. Um, I think that's how I remember it. But Gimli is also very pro-Moria. Yeah. Uh, Yeah,
3: ostensibly that was like the reason he was at uh, Elrond's house in the first place. He was like, we have not heard from my uncle in a very long time.
0: Yeah, it's very strange in the movie how he's like, Moria's gonna be dope. It's gonna (laughs) be a party the whole time. I'm
3: sure they haven't emailed us for normal reasons. (laughs) Probably too busy partying and being rich.
0: Dwarves go (laughs) swimming with little
2: hairy women. I (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that line.
0: <laughs> it's it's very strange, when he's like still boasting about how great the party's going to be when they're like 20 skeletons deep. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Those, you know, cleaning ladies out. They don't have time to get rid of every skeleton that happens. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's Halloween. He, it, it, I only it's not actually, you know, nobody expects Frodo to be able to make the best decision. But then it does create this connection it reflects Frodo's sense deep sense of duty and obligation to all of his friends and gives us sort of a focal point for Frodo's grief when Gandalf dies. Yeah.
2: Um a lot so of responsibility that, probably he
0: felt. Responsibility and it's guilt like,
3: consigning it to fate like we're already on this like you know journey that d- will determine the fate of the world so it's not like leaving it to chance but like Yeah. Giving it to the ring bearer specifically is sort of a like, well, all in. Like, this is how it had to be kind of way.
0: Absolutely.
2: One thing I have a question about, and this is aside, but Gandalf and Frodo seem to have like a very special friendship. Does Gandalf have that friendship with like other people in that party as well? Like, is he or is he an unknown to most people in the no. fellowship? Like, that's... Well, he knows they
3: all know. Aragorn, right? Like they have hung yeah. out and gone on certain quests together.
2: Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: But I think that he wouldn't have the same relationship with any of them except, honestly, Bilbo. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a mix of obligation as well as this, like, intuition that Gandalf often seems to have because he is, like, he... We're sort of meant to understand that Gandalf and Oloran, the Maya, like, are very attuned to the... The important vibes that not every Maya and Velar can really like figure out. Hmm. Like Gandalf is very much like in on the rhythm of the universe. Interesting. Um, and and I don't mean he knows everything, but there are certain people who he or spirits who who Tolkien characterizes as like best understanding or best comprehending the will of Iluvatar. No one can do it completely, but like Manwe really has a the yeah. best take at the macro level, and Gandalf has, like, the, uh, he he learned from the two spirits who were all about, like, comfort in hope and comfort in sorrow. Hmm. Um, like, those were his two primary Valar teachers that he hung out with the oh, most in stop. the Undying Lands. So he, cool. he has this, like, infinite compassion and infinite hope. And then we just sort of get these, like, little tiny hints that that puts him in a pretty good position to understand, like, you know, the critical vibe, like the yeah. secret critical See vibe. the,
3: like, arc of the world, the story yeah. arc of the world, right?
2: That's fascinating. Totally. Uh, so by that, yeah, he... I love
3: thinking of that.
2: He, not out of, like, purpose, but still established, like, a closeness with Frodo. Like...
3: He also yeah, just like, loves hobbits. Yeah, it he, seems yeah, like he really loves them. They know how to live good. They know how yes. to party. <laughs> like, That's for sure. Right? And, like, I think it's one of those things that Tolkien was also... Uh, supporting was like they're really living in harmony with the land and like their space totally.
2: in the uh, the, There's no place in Middle Earth that I'd rather be than the freaking Shire man. I want a round door yeah, and I want a tiny oh. cow <laughs> because they had proportional sized cows so like <gasps> go off.
3: <laughs> yeah, oh my I god I didn't even think about that shit. <laughs>
2: They had little cows. I don't know if it was a baby, but they did, in the shot, it was yeah. a tiny little cow. So I'm there for it. I want to party with that giant wheel of cheese, please. Oh, my God. Oh,
3: yeah, and they have the best names. They do. Like, oh, uh, yeah, everything about it screams, like, comfort, and I don't even know what else. Contentment, which is yeah. similar.
0: You know what Frodo's name was originally going to be?
2: What was it? Lodo? Stone- Bollens?
0: Bingo. <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> Bingo! Bingo baguettes. Oh. that would have been rough.
2: <laughs> bingo baggot maggots. Bingo, Bing, bingo.
0: bingo. Scream, blow, Scrimblow
2: bimblow.
0: <laughs>
3: I went deep into the appendices <laughs> when I was making my last.
2: Bimbo bog boobs. <laughs> That's my take. It's my my Hobbit is. Sona.
0: <laughs> Go again, Dan?
3: No, now it's Danwise Ganji or whatever yeah. it was, but uh, Hell yeah. I had a lot of fun going through the appendices to make a and d character, the halfling fighter, Togo Goodbody. <laughs> Absolutely. Togo right? Goodbody. Like, and
0: Yeah,
3: Togo is literally like a the Baggins cousin, hobbit. and Goodbody is a... Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chiseled. We get a lot of good Hobbit clan names, like right in the first chapter. I can't remember right? them all, but... And uh, like in the movie
3: when he's just calling them out. Feet. yeah.
0: It's like, do this for an hour, and I will be thrilled. Bagginses and boffins, Tooks and Brandybucks, Grubs, Chubs, <laughs> uh, Barozes, Bulgers, Bracegirdles, Brockhouses, Goodbodies, Hornblowers, and Pradfoots.
1: Wow.
3: Oh, Goodbody was in there, too. I didn't make that up. That's wonderful.
0: Yeah, man, they were at the party. Oh, this rules. All um, Halfling
3: campaign coming up.
0: Yeah, man. Sick. They really... Uh, yeah. Anyway. The Shire is idyllic. It is beautiful. We're meant to feel that it is, you know, optimal. Uh, And they have just enough technology to, as you said, Dan, like live in harmony with their surroundings and make themselves comfortable. Mm -hmm. but Not, you know, impede nature.
3: Right. Like they've got mills. They've got stonemasons. Yeah. Those kind of things. But
0: But where you go too far is the scavenging of the Shire. The scouring of the shadow, Scouring,
3: that's garbage. Yeah,
0: where you, you, anything industrial is Mm -hmm. bad to Tolkien. Like, I don't know if he called himself a Luddite. I think he probably did, but he Mm. was very anti-technology politically and from this like, you know, socio-political, anthropological context. Mm. Um, This is as good a time as any to talk about another like background theme, which is this idea from history. Like, I think it does go back to either socrates or plato with the idea of like humanity had a golden age and it was when we lived with the gods and then we had like a like a silver age or whatever uh or am i thinking comics there's uh, one that goes like iron and bronze and then there's one that goes gold and silver anyway the, the idea that we slowly over time um had moments of recalling our glorious past, and then we sort of descend further. And then we have a moment of semi recovery, but ultimately descend even further. And we're slowly just getting, you know, worse and further <laughs> from our Edenic origins. Wow. Um, and eventually it's all over.
3: That's sort of a universal sentiment where, like, the next generation always feels like the last one because happy yeah. they change. But, uh, there are. I like the delineation of time periods. Like, that's the cool Greek one I've come across is, like, there was primordial with the gods. Then there was the, like, age of heroes with monsters everywhere. And then once they had, you know, been slain, we're into, like, the start of human history. Like, the gods sort of sit that out.
0: Yeah. So it's not... It's not like he had a negative and pessimistic worldview, because we've been talking about hope, but this this historical idea of like, you know, the long defeat, the elves are fighting the long defeat, where Mm. you, you resist, but you ultimately will diminish, there's like a fading... Right.
2: Is that just um, in their population until. or in terms of, like, their strength on Middle Earth? Like, they
0: want to... It's the world itself. Wow. Yeah, like, it's not for them anymore. Because, like, the elves are connected Ooh. to the world. And that's yeah. why
3: it starts with, like, there are stories of elves just heading west, right? Like, they are choosing to leave because yeah. it's sort mm-hmm. of their time is over.
2: The era of men.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> that was the, that was the end, right? Like, they said the era of elves or are- Yeah,
0: which... Which is meant to sort of suggest that like, you know, we have to step out of the mythic past and like humanity's future is in question is I think what we're meant to feel when the movie pitches that or when the books pitch that like, again, like the gift of Illuvatar, mankind's destiny is like, you know, for them to decide and that's supposed to make us like reflect and then make the world better. (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah, but, uh,
3: <laughs> but you have, <laughs> what, like, what figures season? like Melkor and Sauron being like, you're so fucked, you idiots. Yeah. <laughs> like, why don't you get to be immortal? Oh, that's gonna suck so hard you don't even know what's happening to you.
0: And, and that was Melkor's role in the world, right? Like, he... Um, he created a sense of fear. He's the reason that we are afraid of the nighttime. I darkness. love that quote.
3: Um, yeah, that there's nothing inherently scary about darkness. It's wow. just the like fears and anxieties of mm-hmm. it. And then it's reflected later with Sauron whispering to the Numenorians, right? Like to Absolutely. bring about their downfall. Yeah.
0: yeah. Just put the fear in them. You have the Numenorians in the Second Age are like this pinnacle of mankind's power and strength they have this like absolutely magical idyllic civilization yeah Atlantis parallels
3: holds really strong
0: yeah exactly (laughs) and they fly too close to the sun and are eventually seduced by evil into thinking that they could claim the mantle of godhood itself and in so doing they like doom themselves and they do what you're not allowed to do which is declare war on god and (laughs) and they all get put in the ocean did they do that? (laughs) yes <laughs> you think about what you've done. The That's going to be the, the Amazon series.
2: Yeah. Oh. Okay.
0: Attack and dethrone God. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> sounds cool. Can't, I'm t- sure t- they won't mess that up. Yeah. Another another big theme here with the the Sauron comparison. So Morgoth or Melkor is like the real Dark Lord. Like he's that. It's not a dualistic worldview. It's not like Iluvatar versus Melkor. Melkor is still very much lesser to the point of being a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. But he is the embodiment of evil and he is the most powerful of all the things within Arda.
3: Yeah, and we can do Satan parallels there, right? As like and the he most is that. Brilliant right, yeah. angel that is you know, prideful and whatnot.
0: He Dude is super Lucifer. Absolutely. <laughs> the cool thing is that he, in a lot of his notes and correspondence, he was trying to explain to people what he was working on with the, the philosophy around Morgoth and Melkor. Um, And he said, so Saren had his ring and he put all of his angelic potency and power into this ring so that he could, you know, dominate other things more quickly, basically, like so that he could have direct control in this very specific.
3: I love that. That's like taking all your like ethereal conceptual power and putting it in the world through a physical object.
0: Beautifully said. Oh, Mm. that rules. Because it's, it's, you know, it's like, okay, that's going to be incredibly powerful, but you're also sort of now limiting yourself to this like literal physical world. Right? Yeah, and right.
3: it's a thing now and things can be broken.
0: And that is Tolkien's idea of evil is like evil will seek to dominate and oppress, but it is ultimately self-defeating. And so even in that conscious act <laughs> of like binding himself to this physically, literally powerful thing, he's removing himself from any potency in terms of the infinite.
3: Right? Well. Wow. Yeah. And so yeah.
0: he has signed his
3: death certificate. That's crazy.
0: Morgoth did the same thing when they come down into the world as these spirits in the world is still like primordial and they're literally forming it. Melkor is just like they describe him as like a giant flaming mountain just like striding over all of creation and smashing whatever he wants. Like he is this unassailable, truly godlike cosmic force of whatever he wants to
3: destruction. Avatar of destruction,
0: yeah. <laughs> but he wants to rule this world, he's obsessed with being in charge just for its own sake because of his own, you know, jealous insecurity and need to be worshipped. So, Morgoth's ring, Tolkien said in his letter Morgoth's ring, like compared to Sauron's ring, yeah. is the earth itself.
1: What?
0: No, there, yeah, Morgoth's ring is the earth. How
3: does that he look? Oh. <laughs> he puts so himself he... into the shaping of it. Exactly.
0: Early in the Silmarillion, in the world creation sort of part, he talks about like he was the most powerful, but he kept taking some of his power and putting it out into the world. He's not God, so he couldn't create life. He couldn't create his own servants. Right. He would corrupt things that already existed. Animals, plants, the earth itself, like geography, terrain. Um, and he would put his power into them to warp them, to make them obey him, to make them more powerful, but and to put evil into the world, which he wanted to do because he's evil. Super yeah, god. Yeah, yeah. uses up his it.
3: like existential supply Ex- of juice.
0: Exactly. So cool. he diminished himself so that the world could have evil in it. And so as a result, when we get to the actual events of the Silmarillion, which are the First Age. Of time, like very literal time is happening, wars and kingdoms are happening. Um, which is the Lord of the Rings takes place in the third age, somewhere right. in the first age. Anyway, yeah. when we get to that point, he's put all this evil into the world, he has these armies of corrupted elves who are orcs, he's you know, made monsters, he's made dragons, he's made fucked up scary mountains, his fortress. <laughs> um, but he himself is now just this humble, you know, 30-foot. Monster <laughs> King just 30 which, foot. Okay. Yeah. which is still like Aesthetic. he's a scary guy. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. But
3: he's he's no longer a god
0: for Short sure, King we'll
2: for right. a god, short god king.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so he's still greater than any mortal, you know, he's and, and you know, one of one of everybody's favorite parts of the Silmarillion is when Fingolfin. After, yeah, is Fingolfin the high king of the Noldor who realizes that war against him is hopeless and he can't really win. But so he he rides to the gates of Angbad and he says, "Fuck you, Morgoth! You loser! You're a coward! I'm gonna kick your ass! Get down here!" <laughs> yeah, and, <you're> sucking <laughs> <ass>. <laughs> and Morgoth knows that he can't possibly lose. Yeah. But he is afraid. He's afraid of his followers judging him for not coming down quickly enough. He's afraid of like, what will it look like if he takes a hit or if he somehow does get beaten. And then it's like, he's so megalomaniacal and insane with his own obsession for power that he's like, wait, could, could I, could he beat me? Like, I don't like, I'm, I'm scared. Like he's never even thought about
3: losing. Yeah,
0: this (laughs) is, yeah, exactly. He's got the yips. (laughs) He's got the yip. And so unfortunately, like he, he eventually does go down and, his coming was like a series of earthquakes. I can't remember the the every step was like terrifying. Like he's still sick. this like again demigodly thing, but he gets down there and he sw- you know starts swinging at Fingolfin and he, every time he misses it like creates a giant pit in the earth with his giant magic hammer Grond. Awesome. It's a truly epic fight. Fingolfin's dancing. Yeah. He's dancing on him. He he wounds him 7 times. Yeah, he uh Land and hits yeah, he's cutting him. He's making him bleed. His blood fills the pits and they like become tar pits etiologically or something. Awesome. Uh, it's it's badass. So metal. ultimately, Fingolfin can't kill him. Uh, yeah, he, he can't win he, that way. He beats Fingolfin down and then he like steps on his head and crushes him. Um, but he like he's he never recovers from the wounds, which isn't to say he can't do things. He's just like he's got to in permanently. Pain he
3: has been affected permanently by a like not i guess mortals wrong he's elf but
0: yeah. like I have a I, I, yeah i also never quite he, know i i want to call elves like mortals even though they're literally immortal like, but like yeah. i know what you mean
2: tier 2 immortal exactly. Maybe not tier
0: 3 immortal point yeah. 5 yeah
3: yeah, yeah.
0: And, and, you know, uh, Fingolfin's story becomes like this rallying cry for all of his enemies. And he just like hates that. And he's so insecure and sad. Is yeah. like everything that happens makes him miserable.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it, like Fingolfin specifically is a tragedy that brings out like the beauty and goodness of a bunch of elves that had thought like, you know, we can just leave him alone. He'll never come out of his house. We can <laughs> just we don't have to fight him. That's fine. Right. Like. <laughs> I, I love it. So he's yeah, like a George Costanza
2: of of the Undying
0: yourself. <laughs> no, one hundred percent.
2: Completely insecure. He will
0: never be happy. Yeah. Evil.
2: <laughs> Objectively evil. Yeah,
0: willing, yeah, willing to made do to anything suffer. for his own like selfish wants, but also will never be made happy by any of it. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. That puts it in perspective. (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: great. (laughs) All right. And so that was a bit of a digression
0: to like a hella cool.
2: (laughs) Gandalf. That was a
0: bit of a digression to a hella cool moment in the Silmarillion. But it's like it's really representative of both how Tolkien sees evil, like willing to, you know, hurt itself and defeat itself ultimately just to like keep jealously and tragically preserving its own existence
3: mm-hmm.
0: um this is making
3: my mental health better good. like seeing like <laughs> how much that uh like effort and energy has to be put into being a dick
0: yeah it is like it but the, it, there is that holistic experience with engaging with the tolkien philosophy of like oh, uh, an undeniable hopefulness emerges yeah mm. uh, i don't know i don't know even if it's just in the poetics of it like it's it's kind of cool Hell we,
2: yeah. We haven't gone into any specific heroics for Frodo, which I'd like to hear, but we can come back to that later. Sure.
0: Well, yeah. And I mean, like I, I have some other Frodo stuff like, like in terms of Frodo's heroics, like they are all centered around sacrifice to some mm. degree. Right. Yeah. So it's, it is like just understanding the scale, which really helps with, um, which, which the books itself build up better than the movies. And, um, Yeah, like how he internalizes people like Gandalf's lessons Hmm. and how he, uh, is willing to extend mercy to Gollum, um, and how he starts sort of seeing that pattern of hopeful fate that Gandalf identified, even when Gandalf's long gone, the Fellowship's long gone, like in Two Towers and Return of the King. Mm -hmm. He is starting to pick up on these patterns that the wise, quote unquote, can identify, um... He, he doesn't want to leave Gollum behind and he's yeah. like, he thinks, is this because I am, you know, so um, focused on him for my own sake? Like, is this a weakness and a failing of, of me that I just don't want to get rid of him because I'm in denial about what I will become?
3: Hmm. Yeah, he wants to believe he can be saved, that kind of yes, thing. Yes,
0: which he literally says. He needs to believe, like when Sam questions him yeah. about why they're putting up with this, he's like, I need to believe that he can come back
2: the ring has like, permanent the my effects, trauma right? isn't
0: going to define me forever yeah
2: like well th- said the ring yeah, has the,
0: the ring does
3: a
2: permanent effect on frodo right like we see it at the end when he goes to the undying lands like he's never fully recovered but like what he knows at that time like he is hurt intensely but in a way that like i don't think the movies really fully show i'd, I'd love to hear more about like no it's what we know
3: Personified more in the wound he receives on Weathertop as well. Right? Uh. Like He gets a physical thing that keeps coming back to hit him directly hmm. when the Witch that's, King
0: stabs him. I think that's probably the biggest literal injury that he gets. Yeah. yeah. Um, he also, I mean, like it's a hard journey in general. Um, he gets Got his, his ass finger by bit off. Spider. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he gets stabbed by a spider and poisoned and wrapped up. So um, icky.
2: So icky. That's the ickiest scene oh, for yeah. me.
0: <laughs> In terms of the ring, I actually do really want to talk about this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. he's so determined not to fail. He's so determined not to get eaten up by the ring. He is the only ring bearer besides Gollum who actually does not give up the ring willingly.
1: Hmm. And
0: as a result, he is not as okay post-ring as Bilbo is. And Sam is technically a ring bearer. Mm -hmm. And we see in the scene where Sam has the ring and he thinks Frodo is dead. Yeah. It is hard for him already to give it up. So we we can sort of infer that Frodo has this, you know, constitution that Sam does not. But in the end, Sam still gives it back to him. Yeah. Frodo at the final moment fails in that he does not want to give up the ring. No, it's torn from him. It is ripped from him by force, and then destroyed by, you know, You catastrophe, by fate, by oh, this is by Gollum.
3: Mental health and like therapy stuff again, right? Like if you can't admit or like be ready to let go of this thing that has hurt you, so you like you're forever in that state of like you didn't,
0: yeah, uh, mm-hmm.
3: get over it in a sense.
0: And so Frodo is a guy who keenly feels. Guilt because he understands responsibility maybe more than any of the other hobbits but so i think that also is part of what is you know wounding him perpetually that's interesting Um, at the beginning of lord of the rings gandalf makes a big deal about how um he didn't trust bilbo's story and he saw that there was some golem-like behavior going on Mm -hmm. that he was concerned about but ultimately after a little convincing, he does give up the ring willingly. Yeah. And so that's a hundred years. He then with starts it, right? to, or 50 years. Yeah. But yeah. Like 50 something years, yeah. 60 years. Um, so he, he does start aging. Um, like it catches up with him and he slows down, but he's okay. And I think that, for, so it's hard. Maybe it's pointless to say like what specifically is, is sticking with Frodo and making him like unable to keep living in the world. Um, but I think that's part of it. Hmm. And it's very sad. Like, it's very tragic, right? Because you, with this character who understands the weight and sacrifice so much and ultimately is responsible for the success, but blames himself for an ultimate failure that was, like, saved by Providence or whatever. Um, and then when they're die when they're laying on the slopes of Mount Doom after the ring has been destroyed, and they think they're going to die, right? Because yeah. the mountain is erupting. Yeah. Um, he says, "It's it's like things are in the world. Hope fails. An end comes. We have only a little time to wait now. We are lost in ruin and downfall, and there is no escape." Oh. Um, Heavy. Yeah. So it's that he 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 knows that he's done it, but he in that moment is still feeling this like hopelessness. Um, and I wonder, like, it's it's making me tear up because yeah. like he. He blames himself, even though he's accomplished this goal,
2: but he'll never know yeah. if it was really <sighs> successful or not. like he doesn't really know what the world looks like without it, uh, yeah, and it he doesn't
0: he thinks he's about to die, and then yeah. he is saved um by the eagles and by by Gandalf, and so there is some salvation but uh and like so I have in my notes here that this is the u catastrophe, which is a term that Tolkien coined
1: oh um mm.
0: e e u Catastrophe, oh, okay. which is meant to be the uh, inverse of catastrophe, where at the last second it's kind of like a Deus Machi- ex machina, but it's not exactly the same thing. It's just like hope from the jaws of defeat, salvation hmm. from the jaws of total annihilation. Um, which Tolkien said the incarnation of Jesus was the eucatastrophe of mankind. Hmm. Um, that's neat. So that's a thinker, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I mean, it makes sense, right? Jesus' existence and uh, death, quote unquote, is like saves mankind, right? Like um original right. sin had like doomed everyone, and thanks to the Jesus stuff happening, man is now given freedom. Um that's meant to be you know it's it's hard to have the context for that if you're not a Catholic like Tolkien was or not religious, but it, it makes sense to be in a in a basic way. And so it's like a little bit of fate and a little bit of surprise and a little bit of deus ex machina, but, um, Frodo is ready to give up. And then this happens and he's not, yeah, hmm. he's, he's saved. The world is saved to some degree. Um, and just cause Frodo can't see the good that's there doesn't mean it's there, but like his, his perspective is understandable. He needs to have that moment of total despair
1: yeah
2: well yeah like he's been operating on hope this whole time and like duty yeah and now it's all done and what's he left with a b- burning mountain and is f- having to like face his friend in death like that doesn't sound ideal at all yeah it's a terrible situation and it's nice that he, they get a happy ending and all that but is it for frodo not i guess it's a peaceful ending
0: it's well and then of course the true ending is the scouring of the shire which let's do now before we do aragorn all right um because so then we have you know after that we have aragorn being crowned king the hobbits are honored yeah it's so in, cute. Gondor in the wider world It's
2: a big bow to the yeah. little guys they're the tallest people in the room for once they t-
0: Yeah, and and the wise people are now in charge and they acknowledge how important Frodo and the hobbits' role was. Like, Mm -hmm. they are are rightly famous. They are acknowledged as heroes. And then they go back to the Shire uh, after saying all their goodbyes and Gandalf leaves them too because he knows what's going down, but he also knows that they are heroes in their own right and have it under control. So Saruman, whose staff has been broken, Um, and power has been cut off from his, like, divine origin, has, like, out of spite and possibly a love of tobacco, taken (laughs) over the Shire. What? Uh, Yeah, it's the addiction that that kills.
2: They made a plantation (laughs) out of the Shire?
3: (laughs) Yeah,
0: he basically got, like, 50 dudes, 50 human dudes, to, like, help him take over the Shire. Oh, my God. Which was mostly bloodless, but some hobbits died. (gasps) Yeah, subjugate
3: these small people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So he's like taken the hobbits that were the most exploitable in terms of like being shitty, jealous losers who want to be more important than their neighbors, and given them like menial roles as like basic ass enforcers. But basically, every hobbit is like pretty miserable with this. Wow! Well, and there's like some basic industry going on. Uh, they're going into production. I don't know. Yes. And Saruman's like Al Capone or something. He like. <laughs> and, and they call him Sharky.
3: Yeah, which is fun, like a slur of the orcish word for Saruman or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Whoa, dude. So uh, the hobbits get there and are basically just like, what? Like, this is the stupidest shit I've ever seen. Yeah, when we uh, left, every we hobbit, all
3: agreed this was dumb and we would never do this.
0: <laughs> yeah, so they, they keep running into old hobbits that they do, and the old hobbits are like, stop or you're in trouble. And they're like, no, we're not. Stop being dumb as hell. And <laughs> slowly they figure it out and they uh organize like a very basic like a rebellion and it's not very hard <laughs> all they have to do is just like stand up s- to stand them. firm when they right. are threatened well um, mary and pippin take the lead role yeah sam pretty well represented too but mary and pippin are like warrior hobbits now yeah they're, they're also hella tall right because they drank juice. Drinks. are
2: they like five yeah. feet now or like four and a half
0: I don't know. I don't even think they're five feet. I think hobbits are way smaller. They're smart. like maybe yeah, maximum, maximum Danny
2: DeVito sized maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, this is the Danny DeVito
3: Wolverine we never got to see. <laughs> <laughs> Just ass kicking short. Shorty's. But uh, I love the scene in the book where Sam like keeps being like, stand back to back. No way. How did you guys get so tall? What the shit is yeah. actually happening? He's <laughs> <is> very cute. <laughs>
0: um and frodo's role in the scouring of the shire is is being like don't we're not killing anybody like stop like we we need to we can we can figure this out this is fine they're gonna back down like we don't need to shed any blood here yeah we've just just come
3: back from the adventure that was you know necessary to put your life on the line for and to kill for
0: (laughs) and this is not
3: that we are changed from that journey and we could be better than that.
0: Whereas, uh, that's exactly right. Whereas Sam or er, and Merry and Pippin are much more willing to kick a little ass. <laughs> yeah, we've got all this high-level
3: gear from our adventure. Let's fucking exactly. waste these guys. a
0: little
2: ass. Just a little. Just a smidgen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it shows that, like... So, you know, they they think that maybe Frodo is just, like, not, not weak, but, like, soft and too compassionate. But Frodo, you know, has this enlightened wisdom. understanding, this wisdom. Yeah. Well, um, he knows that when you hurt someone else, you're only hurting yourself.
2: It makes sense that in wartime, you would see something working in the sense of you have to take someone down or kill them or harm them to get what you want. And you would take that, you know, rhetoric
3: home with you. Yeah. yeah.
2: It, I mean, like it's a yeah. proven effective and established method at that time. So like you bring it home and uh, that's, yeah, dangerous thinking and, like, obviously doesn't work in society. But, like, I can see how it's tempting to, you know, keep a little bit of that with you when it is, like, causation or, like, action, reaction. Like, that's it. At, oh, yeah, it's the
3: flaw in so many Mad Men characters that we just studied in a few <laughs> episodes back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Like, readjusting from wartime.
0: <laughs> well, and there's this thing where, like, Tolkien is very much anti-war. That's not to say that he, that the war is not meant to be interesting and cool in this book, but he's also writing it in the form and style of like a historical mythic narrative where war is glorified. Mm. Then at the same time, you have a lot of the characters who like their, their significance and their, you know, heroism and divinity is intentionally marked by, you know, the hands of the King or the hands of the healer, yeah, by yeah, yeah. the compassionate warrior Gandalf and Aragorn um, by the, by mercy, you know, these these things are in here. It's clear that he that mercy and peace are the goal. But then again, you're doing it through glory. And I I, I think the movies especially are like war is sick. Like <laughs> battle is cool. Yeah. And like and if you're a good <laughs> guy <that's, laughs>
3: for it, we can support it wholeheartedly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that's not in the books like they didn't get that from nowhere. Of course, it's there. It's just, you know, the theme can get a little Messy.
3: lost in the cool like, shooting an elephant in the times. books yeah. did
2: tolkien ever write like okay legolas does a backflip onto the trunk of the elephant and skitters <laughs> up it shooting a guy cutting the, the rope and then shooting two more guys and then shooting the elephant in the head doing a triple backflip off of the trunk and then also invents
3: skateboarding like <laughs> to, <laughs> cruise down the stairs
0: shooting a million arrows <laughs>
2: Like, it wasn't... There's some yeah.
0: artistic interpretation yeah. there, maybe. That is some, yeah, <laughs> interpretation by Peach. Uh, Peach. I think Tolkien, like, hated Legolas. <laughs> I think it kind of seems like it. He did yes. not like Legolas.
3: <laughs> He's much more yeah. Keebler than Orlando Bloom, <laughs> is how I remember him. <laughs> he, like, he does I'm cool off stuff off to like... fetch the sun! <laughs> 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 really? Yeah. Is he a dork? Yeah. yeah.
0: He's a bit of a ween.
3: Dainty little he
0: nerd. Got- because it's like some of it you can interpret as Tolkien wanting to us to understand that like he is different than you know the Noldor, yeah, yeah. like the we biblical meet, like,
3: cool elves of yore.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, that makes sense. Anyway, yeah, Legolas is fine. Yeah, he's not. Can... He's way cooler in the movies, or way more of a loser, depending on your perspective. <laughs> he can be both. <laughs>
1: Fair uh, enough. Gimli,
0: yeah. Gimli in the books is like a fucking samurai who's like awesome. constantly reciting poetry <laughs> and in the movies. He's like, my beard. <laughs> throw me, don't throw me. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah,
3: I love him. I think my favorite Gimli scene is him like having despair at the ghost valley uh, when they're oh, he's about like blowing to walk the paths the, of the dead,
2: blowing the like ghost hands oh, off God, his beard. That's so good. It's <laughs> pretty good. <cool. Yeah. laughs> I <laughs>
1: didn't remember
3: that bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, in the book, uh, like, I think we get the POV of Gimli being oh. like, these are things I can't see, but I am feeling the like terror and despair of them.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's very well-spoken in the books. <laughs> um, you know, uh, one, one scene that stood out to me again in the books, I didn't read the, all of the books, but I read all of Fellowship and then just like read a few specific passages in the others. Um, the Barrow Downs, yeah, which are not in the movies at all. It's like a uh, fellowship's so great because like the first half of the book is just us and the hobbits, and then we get a little Aragorn near the end. Um, but the hobbits have their own adventure, getting to where they need to go without Gandalf, right. and so they have the Tom Bombadil encounter, which we can talk about if we want to. <laughs> Old man, hello.
3: And, but uh, then they walk
0: yeah. into the, the Barrow Downs where they're sort of ensnared by a malevolent spirit that they're not trying to engage with at all. And so we get a little bit about how even this land so close to the Shire has this long history of like ancient kings fighting in wars oh, wow. against enemies we haven't heard of who do turn out to be still very much related to Sauron. Um, and the and, land is still you know,
3: affected by that. Like It is yeah. still fundamentally changed by the like overbearing you know, past trauma and evil or violence yeah. there.
0: Well, and, and not to mention like England is dotted with tons of these burial mounds from thousands of years ago. Right? Yeah. So it's like this yeah, real yeah. thing of like living with the past near you and being a uh, of it. How cool so, that must the, be.
2: So much of ours is like completely undocumented and like, we just don't get that here, like in Canada.
0: Like, yeah, it was all bulldozed in the name of
2: exactly. colonialism. Yeah. So. In England, we get none you were it.
3: never more than 10 feet from ghost bones.
0: Mm. I'm
2: sure <laughs> of this. <laughs> oh, dear.
0: So um, anyway, just as an overview, like the spirit, the Barrow White, which is like the ghost of a dead king, uh, mm. lures them in. And, uh, Frodo, like, is put into a magic sleep and then, like, wakes up somehow due to his strength of character or the ring or something. And he sees Merry Pippin and, and Sam are all, like, they've been, like, disrobed and put in this freaky white shirt. Damn. And they, they're, they like, really pale. And they have, like, a giant sword lined up over all three of their necks as they're asleep. Ah! And, uh... There's like a crazy ghost chanting scary poetry about dying to them. And like he sees a hand crawling along the floor. And uh, holy shit, he has this moment where he's like, I'm up and I see the door and I can get out of here and I can imagine like running out and grieving for my friends. But like Gandalf would understand there's nothing I could do to save them. Like everyone would would accept that this is what I had to do. And then. You know, he has some memories of of the Shire and Bilbo and Tom Bombadil and Gandalf and and just realizes that it doesn't matter if he's going to fucking get killed by this magic ghost. Like he can't he can't leave his friends. Um, so that's like a heroic moment for him where we we're we're seeing his character come out specifically like the courage of someone who is afraid and like,
3: yeah. Oh yeah, and he won't abandon his friends. That's the same quality of him not giving up on his quest too, right? Like the determination for people and things that he loves. That shines through. Yeah.
0: And anyway, then he just remembers that he can call Tom Bombadil and Tom Bombadil's like, Hello, delete ghost. All right. <laughs> stops fine. it.
3: Yeah. He's like, oh ghost. I am
0: crawling around.
2: <laughs> That's oh my fucking God.
0: So I
3: don't <laughs> Yeah. It's, Tom Bombadil saves him from Old Man Willow,
0: too, right? Yeah, he's like, all right, delete tree magic. Cool, yeah. this over.
3: I was way more scared of the living tree than I was of the Barrow Ghost.
0: Dude, Old Man Willow is terrifying. Yo.
3: So it's, Absolutely it's terrifying. It's not an
2: Ent, it's a different kind of tree guy? Different kind of tree it's guy? It's not nearly
3: as alive as the Ents are, right? Ooh. But still malevolent? Yeah.
0: Yeah, with Tolkien, all trees are alive, and they have varying degrees of being awake. Interesting. And uh, <gasps> the it. primordial kind of trees remember... Waste, almost. Yeah, like animist kind of yeah. stuff. Hmm. Um, old Man Willow is an ancient tree who remembers all of the hurts that men have ever given the trees of his forest. Oh. We also get told that Fangorn... No, sorry, not Fangorn. The, the old forest is part of like a primordial forest that covered like almost the whole continent. And it's now like all that's left. And it's basically all that's left because it's on the Tom Bombadil square block. <laughs>
3: right. Yeah. People uh, don't have
0: lumber mills where he's at. Yeah. But so he, he like controls the whole forest. Tom Bombadil. who comes in to himself um, with the intent of just, like, killing them for fun. And, like, his voice is, like, he's laughing at them. When the hobbits are like, don't kill me! They they hear an old man, like, laughing at them and mocking them. Holy like, he, shit. He is extremely malevolent and extremely scary. Yep. And, like, what's so,
3: it's, yeah, the indifference of it. Like, Mary's half-eaten, and he's like, I can hear him in here. What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, he
0: says, and then Frodo's like, let's light this tree on fire. And oh, yeah. And like, Put it out. He says he's going to cut me in half if you don't put it out right now. Oh, God. Like,
3: yeah. Right. Like it is. Yeah. No orc gets that much personality when they're fighting it. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh Yeah. I'd love to hear more about the orcs later just because like seems if they're from elves, they seem pretty weak. Weak AF like comparatively just in, in the sense of like a hobbit can kill them so i don't know well there's
3: also like goblins orcs okay. or sort of, like okay
2: that's a very good point a different
3: degrees theater. of power or proximity to the ill will that made them and
0: then like yeah goblins I are sort
3: of just sort of like sun averse trash
0: boys okay I, I think goblin and orc are just a linguistic difference okay, okay. i think no um, I'd,
3: I'd buy that too, because like, like, like the different cultures yeah. talking about them in different contexts.
0: Yeah, I think it's like hobbits call them goblins, and yeah, maybe some others, and everyone else calls them orcs. Uh, and it's like like a Tolkien was just calling them goblins when he wrote the Hobbit, and then was like, nah, 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 nah. no, <laughs> <are>. no, 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 they're orcs now.
2: Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: My kids are
3: too old for goblins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, so that'll cover our first part of Lord of the Rings. We'll figure this out and get our further thoughts on the movie and some of the bigger conversations around Tolkien for part two. So thank you so much for listening to part one of Lord of the Rings. Uh, I'm Tom. I'm Dan.
2: And I'm Sarah. And there and back again.
0: Aw, that's pretty nice
3: (laughs) We'll be back again (laughs) With our our boys, our rowdy dwarves Wrecking up this hobbit house Of a podcast Yeah
0: (laughs) Smash the plates I don't know the song Smash the
3: plates, that's what Bilbo Baggins hates That's what
0: Bingo Baggins hates
3: Bingo Bingo Baggins
2: (laughs) Bing bong Bag boy